This is Ham College for November 30th, 2014. The Pilot. Ham College is brought to you by the letter A and the number 1. College. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And this is a new show designed for new hams. Yeah, we're, we're going to bring you some topics from the technician question pool and do a few projects and have some introductory things to ham radio. Yeah, and we'll eventually get around to the general and extra pools too. But, you know, this is designed for uh, new amateurs and for those wanting to get into the hobby. But you old guys like, like him... You know, you might pick up something that you missed the first time around or or uh, maybe had a temp- temporary lapse yeah. or, or something. I, I resemble that remark. Yeah. I learned a few things while we were preparing for this episode, too. And they're, they're things I probably knew, but... Yeah, um, it, it's always great to go back and get a refresher. It well, sure is. A lot of that stuff, if you've been a ham for a while like we have, you, you don't really think about a lot of that stuff that often. Yeah, so. you don't. There might be some people watching that really don't know what ham radio or amateur radio is, and we're going to try to dispel a few rumors tonight and and, um, misunderstandings about the hobby. Right. So I guess maybe uh, the first thing we want to do is uh, give credit to our friend Jeff Murray, uh, K1NSS, who provided this classic background here for us. This, yeah, he did a really move nice so people can see it. It's a fantastic job on yeah, that. I'm going to work a little uh, CW here. Yeah. Here, oh, wait a minute. Here, let me get the mic. I can get the mic, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. This is great. And, you, you know, he has a um, a lot of um, different cartoons and things he does, but he makes QSL cards for people, too. Yeah, yeah. His his website's got a lot of samples on it. Uh, he does some really nice work. He does. Jeff has uh, some great resources that uh, you can tap into there. If you want a nice-looking QSL card, he can fix you up. Man, that's some really good-looking st- stuff on there. That, oh, oh, yeah, no doubt. So, every, something for everybody. Everyone I'm custom to, you just give him the idea, and he'll work with you and uh, adjust it. Like he, I don't know, he, we maybe sent back and forth uh, ten different revisions on this one yeah. till we got it to where we... Uh, we yeah. like it. Yeah, he know. just tweaked it, changed the color a little bit, moved things around just a little bit. And yeah. Anyway, he's a real good guy to work with. Yeah, so thanks for that, Jeff. And, uh, hey, we, we hope we get to use this a lot. Yeah, you know? looking forward to it. Yeah, I like it better than the one on the other show. Yeah, me too. All right, we're going to have to come up with something else over there. Okay, well, what is amateur radio? Well, I'm going to give you just a uh, a few points here. From, well, I guess maybe the ARRL would be a good resource to learn a little more about how Oh, yeah, the ARRL's got all kinds of things, so lots of information. So according to the ARRL, uh, amateur radio, or ham radio, is a popular hobby and service in which licensed amateur radio operators, or hams, 
operate communications equipment. And although amateur radio uh, operators get involved for a lot of different reasons, you know, we've all got a lot of things in common, uh, basic knowledge of radio technology, operating principles. Uh, you know, We have to pass an exam to get a license to operate on the radio frequencies known as amateur bands. Uh, so we, we've all got that kind of stuff in common. And, uh, you know, these bands of frequencies are reserved for use by uh, licensed amateurs like, like you and me and a lot of you watching out there by the different governments in the world. And there are agreements, you mm-hmm. know, as to who can use what frequencies in which areas of the world. And um, in the United States, it's the Federal Communications Commission that issues amateur radio licenses. Right. So uh, why don't you ask me a question, Tommy? Okay. <laughs> Why do they call it ham? That is a good question. And, you know, one time I thought it, and I don't know where I heard it, I thought it meant home amateur. But, nah. No? That's not what it means at all. Well, what does it mean? Well, um, you you may be surprised. Well, I, I, I'm, I already am. <laughs> yeah, act surprised you anyway, even if you aren't. A, a ham is, according to this, He's a poor operator, a plug. And this came from Granville Mellon Dodge, the telegraph instructor. You know, this guy was around back during the time of the Civil War, and apparently he was a telegraph instructor, too. I know he was big in communications. He coined the term ham, and that was just strictly talking about telegraph operators. The first wireless operators were landline telegraphers who left that field and their offices to go to sea. Uh, or to man coastal stations because you know early radio communications got started with uh, ship to shore stuff you know that was really right probably the most important area that was going to benefit immediately from radio communications and of course they had to use morse code and so they took all these telegraph operators and uh, put them on ships and they brought with them you know a lot of their uh, their language and their traditions from their older profession and in those early days, uh, every station was using spark gap transmitters because we didn't really have modern electronic circuitry at that time. Was basically, you just take a bunch of power and you make it arc, uh-huh. and somebody can hear yeah, that. And it's going to disturb everything. Yeah, just like that insulator out there on the electric pole Yeah, uh, when it acts up. So uh, by using those spark generators, one guy talking to another guy across town could wipe out the whole band. I mean, he, oh, yeah. yeah, not just the narrow frequency because there weren't any such thing. It was just everything Right. if you had enough power. And so a lot of the government ships and uh, coastal stations, you know, they, they were talking about these amateur guys at home who were, you know, getting into radio at the same time, just taking over completely their airwaves with their powerful stations. And so the frustrated commercial operators would refer to the ham radio interference by calling the, the amateur operators hams, ah. a term that had come from telegraph. Okay. And, uh, you know, amateurs, probably unfamiliar with the real meaning of the term, just picked it up and ran with it. Yeah. You know, sounds good to us. It sounds you know. great. Oh, yeah. I love ham. So, you know, as the years have gone on, um, the original meaning has completely disappeared, but... 
that's that's kind of how it got started. Well, that's interesting to know. I really didn't know that. I didn't think you did, and you looked really surprised even yeah. if you were faking it. So. Yeah, it's pretty good acting, huh? Yeah, it was. Actually, I, I didn't know it. All right, well, it's your turn now, Tommy. You know, we we learned a, a little bit about what a ham means, and I mentioned something about telegraph there. Yeah, and Morse code. And Morse code. Yeah, so let's, I think everybody knows that Samuel Morse invented Morse code. Samuel Morse was born in Charlestown, Massachusetts on April 27, 1791. He attended Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts, but eventually went on to attend Yale College to study a variety of subjects from religious philosophy, mathematics, and the science of horses. Morse was also a painter. He used that skill to support himself. Morse graduated from Yale with honors. In 1825, New York City hired Morse to paint a portrait of Lafayette. While he was painting, a horse messenger delivered a letter from his father saying that his wife was very sick. The next day, he received a letter from his father telling that his wife had passed away. Morse immediately left for his home in New Haven without finishing the portrait of Lafayette. By the time he made it home, his wife had already been buried. Heartbroken because he was unaware of his wife's illness, then death, he decided to try and find a way to send messages long distances quickly. Morse code was born. Morse code's a method of transmitting text information as a series of on-off tones, lights, or clicks that can be directly understood by a skilled listener or observer without special equipment. An electrical telegraph was independently developed and patented in the United States in 1837 by Samuel Morse. His assistant, Alfred Vail, developed the Morse code signaling alphabet with Morse. The first telegram in the United States was sent by Morse on the 11th of January, 1838, across two miles of wire at Speedwall Ironworks near Morristown, New Jersey. Although it was only later in 1844 that he sent the message, What Hath God Wrought, from Capitol Hill in Washington to the old Mount Clare Depot in Baltimore. The Morse Vale Telegraph was quickly deployed in the following two decades. Morse code is most popular among amateur radio operators, although it's no longer required for licensing in most countries. We mentioned about the key, you got to have that to send it. Yep. But you got to have something to hear it with, too. And you said right. a pair of ears, but yep. I said a receiver. Why don't we build something like that and just, you know, I it, just it's sold. very primitive. Yeah, but uh, but it's actually actually what we're about to build is is probably very similar to to what they used back then. Yeah, they just didn't steal their metal off the back of computers. Yeah, but they should have. It, yeah. it works really well. Wouldn't want to use it for anything <laughs> anyway. So, uh, oh boy, we just happen to have some parts here, don't yeah. we? Yeah. Hey, I got. We're gonna need some tools. Yeah, I found a screwdriver. Yeah, me too. What, what about this? Uh, cover for an expansion card for a computer yeah, back of a computer i'm and sure that's probably what they use here's a couple of pieces of wood that they're kind of stuck together we'll just use them like Ooh, that l-shaped yeah i've got some screws yeah. here how about what about the wire that wire i wound up on a nail to keep it handy yeah, yeah that makes work. a good place to keep your wire yeah it does yeah i'm just going to kind of stick it in this hole right here for right now yeah why don't you do that all right, so you're sticking the nail in the wood. Yep, put the, the nail in the wood. You've got to have it someplace. And that's just a, a bunch of wire just kind of coiled up on a nail and the two ends of the wire hanging free here. Right. And we're going to need the key. Actually, the, actually, that's this is going to be... This, that's going to be... Uh, that's going to be the noise maker. Turn it upside down. It was custom bent just to fit that nail. It was? Well... Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
So let's go ahead and tighten that down. And they didn't have electric screwdrivers in those days, so that's why we're not using ones. That's why we went stress. primitive with it. Yeah. Have you got how much gap you got there? Uh, maybe, maybe you got a little more gap than. We'll just have to see if that works. That's we can always adjust. That is some some distance between there. You can do a custom adjustment on it. Needs to be almost. That, that might work. Okay. So, right. so that's the receiver. Right. Well, I'm going to build the transmitter then. All right. All right. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to take my piece of wood and uh, one of these covers off the back plane of a computer here. And I'm going to just screw it down to the wood. I've got a piece of wire here. Is this how Viberplex got started? You know, it could be. I'm not sure. They may have been around before computers, so they had to get their metal from somewhere else. <laughs> I'm just going to take a screw, and I'm going to stick the wire down in a hole here. Let me see if you can see that. There's a hole in the wood. I'm just going to stick the wire down in there, and I'm going to tighten up a screw over it. And then I'm going to... Uh, take this piece of metal and just screw it there and leave a little gap in there. This is essentially a switch, you know, when you push down on it, it makes contact and the electricity can get on through. And Tommy, you've got you've got a wire over there with nothing on it on your receiver, don't you? You got a wire you're not doing anything with. I got one here that doesn't have anything on it. You want to borrow this one? Yeah, let me borrow that one. If you would, just slip it under the corner of that metal there. Maybe I need to loosen up the metal a little. Huh? There you go. All right. We'll Maybe just... that'll hold it good and snug till I figure out what I want to do with there it. There you go. I'm not. I'm not hearing anything over there. No. Well, we got some other wires here. Maybe we ought to do something with that. Well, I got just happened to have this old. 12 volt, what is it, seven and a half ampere hour battery? Yeah, is that from a, that's from a game feeder from back in the 1780s? Yeah, I think this thing was actually used to make arcs on a file. This was, <laughs> it's an inside <laughs> joke, but it actually was. Yeah. Okay, so you want to put this one on the positive? Yeah, it doesn't matter where you put it. Yeah. All right, I'm going to set it kind of back here out of the way. Knocked our transmitter or our receiver over. You know, this wire I've got just happened to have one of these clips on the end of it here, too. So I'm going to hook it to the other terminal of the battery. And now, before we go any further, let me just say, you probably shouldn't be doing this with a 12-volt, 7.5-ampere-hour battery. Yeah. You should probably be using uh, maybe a 6-volt lantern battery or something like that because this this can get hot. Right. So, well, let's see. If I push it down and, and close the circuit here, let's see if anything happens over on your side, Tommy. Hey. Hold on a minute. My receiver's receiving. I'm going to send you a, a call here. This was actually should have been sent before the show started today. Yeah. 
your uh, your transmitters making fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my- don't get any don't get any paper near it. I could use this for an arc gap too, could yeah. I? Or spark gap. Now with this big battery here, this metal gets a little warm here. You don't want to hold down on this. No. But you can see it works out pretty good. Yeah, this this battery's really got too much current, but this is the only one we had, so Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. There's our homemade telegraph station. We can use it for long distance communications. Oh, like uh, what three feet yeah, here across the table? Yeah, yeah. And if one of us really knew code, we could send Morse code back and forth. I sent SOS a while ago, but uh, probably a pretty poor SOS. I would have been called a ham. Yeah. So uh, this is—they actually used one wire transmitters. They did one one wire one wire telegraph. All right, so, so how they did they complete the circuit? I don't know, but that's what it said. It said one wire. It must have been that the other post of the battery must have gone to ground. That would have been the only way I could think of it. A neat little project. I built one of these when I was a kid, and I, th- I thought it would be something interested for uh, New Hams to look at. And yeah, Very simple. You can yeah. make this wire much longer. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot longer. And uh, when I was a kid, I used to be fascinated by electromagnets, which that's mm-hmm. what the whole thing works off the principle of. But yeah. uh, I used to make those all the time, playing and, around. You know, I think I want to hang on to these parts here because there's probably some experiments we can do in the future that that we can use some of this stuff for right here. Yeah, and if it gets cold in here this winter, you can just send a, yeah. hit that key a few times. Yeah, I'll have to warm up my finger. Yeah, I got you a little heater. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there you go, a homemade telegraph key and... Uh, I think you call it sender and receiver, but I'm not sure about that. So maybe somebody will straighten us out on that. Yep. Uh, we probably should move this off the table now and get on to the next part of the show. In the early days, what a ham radio set might have looked like right here. This one was built by Ralph Boucher in Toledo, Iowa in the early 1900s. Uh, that was a kilowatt station, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty cryptic stuff back then, and all of it was was home built, like a lot of it is today. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and large. It's pretty big. Yeah, it takes a lot of space. It was, and here's here's a portable setup right here, and this is a, a German ham and a ski enthusiast, and this was done in 1924, and you probably can't see from here, but he's got a tube type set there on his chest, and that's a loop antenna hanging on his back there. Maybe we ought to build up something like that to use at Dayton next year. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of guys wear some kind of weird radio gear around. Yeah. Uh, I've seen them with, with huge whips, you know, coming out of the backpacks, but I haven't seen anything like that. So. Yeah. So, uh, and by the way, Dayton, that's the uh, the biggest amateur radio conference in the world and uh, one that Tommy and I like to go to every year. It's in Dayton, Ohio, but... We'll be talking more about that in future episodes. For those of you just getting into the hobby, you're going to hear a lot about Dayton, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. You can find out more about it at hamvention.org. Yeah, that's where it is, isn't it? Well, um, a lot of people, I tell them, you know, I'm a ham radio operator, an amateur radio operator. Oh, yeah, my, uh, my uncle used to have a CB. Yeah. How do you how do you counter that, Tommy? What's are there some differences well, between the two? Yeah, that's a, there's a lot of differences in it. Uh, mostly in the behavior of the people that are operators mm-hmm. uh, on the two. I started out with CB, 
Uh, I'm yeah. sure you probably did too, didn't well, you? Well, I did back in, uh, I guess, the early to mid '70s. Yeah, yeah, same same here. It was it was real popular back then, but uh, it's uh, it's kind of uh, it's not a self policing uh, group like like hams are. And there's a lot of things on there, so it's not quite as desirable to a lot of people. Yeah, it's not, uh, there's really not much enforcement of anything on the CV bands. And it's, you know, where ham radio or amateur radio is strictly done as a hobby, it can't be done commercially. Well, they can use CBs for commercial purposes. Yeah, you can. You can do pretty much anything on there, apparently. Yeah. And people do. And they do. And they do. But anyway, there's... A lot of people that came from CB radio into ham radio, mm-hmm. and a lot of them won't admit it, but, you know, that's just the way it yeah, is. And, and I just did it on the air. You did. And, and I sort of did. I kind of squirmed no, around I a pushed bit. you right in there. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so there's a little a little crossover there. People get into CB, and they get interested in it, but then they look at amateur radio and see how much more they can do because CB only operates on a... Uh, a portion of the 11-meter band that originally belonged to amateur radio. And uh, in 1945, the FCC took that from the amateurs and put it over in this other band that uh, anyone could use. Right, and that you're limited to, what is it, 4 or 5 watts? Uh, That has changed. I was reading a little something about that initially. I think they used to say it was 5 watts input power. Mm -hmm. That meant the power coming from the battery, which some is going to be lost in the Mm -hmm. transmitter. But now I think they just say four watts output. Right. So you're you're pretty limited with that, and and uh, it's AM or sideband. Yeah. Um, so you've got so many more modes, so many more frequencies, and and you can go up to fifteen hundred watts. Oh yeah. Yeah. On uh, some of the amateur radio bands. Legally, there's some yeah. CBers that probably do that, but uh, yeah. you can do it legally in amateur radio. Now you know we have. Um, a government agency that sort of polices us. They expect us to be on our best behavior and, and sort of be self-policing. But somebody's got to make the rules, and somebody's got to assign the frequencies and be in charge of licensing and, and all such as that. And who is that in the United States, Tommy? That, that's the Federal Communications Commission, the, yeah. the FCC. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the FCC. Yeah. The FCC regulates uh, interstate and international communications, which means the ones in the United States or abroad, and by radio, television, wire, satellite, and cable in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. An independent U.S. government agency overseen by Congress, the Commission is the United States' primary authority for communications law, regulation, and technological innovation. That's kind of a mouthful. That is a mouthful. But pretty much anything that's communication-wise, it's uh, the, you yeah. know, their so, jurisdiction. They also go by, you, you've probably heard people call them uh, Fox Charlie Charlie, or uh, I've never heard this one, Friendly Candy Company. That That's what I used to hear a lot. Uh, really? That, that may have came from broadcasting back in the 70s or 80s. I don't, I don't remember where I heard that, but yeah. Yeah, Friendly I've heard them called Uncle Sam. Uh, but but I, I never really heard the Friendly Candy Company thing, but that's kind of interesting to me. Well, Tommy, you told us about the FCC. I'm going to tell you about another organization that, that amateurs are familiar with, and that's the ARRL. That's the Amateur Radio Relay League. It was founded in 1914 by Harry Percy Maxim, and it's the National Association for Amateurs in the United States. And today there's more than 161,000 members 
And the ARRL is the largest organization of radio amateurs in the world. And ARRL's mission, as they say, is five basic pillars. That's public service, advocacy, education, technology, and membership. So the ARRL, while it's not a government agency, you know, it has membership from the amateur radio community. And that kind of gives us our own, um, our own group and organization to kind of coordinate different things and, right. and uh, make gentlemen's agreements on certain rules that maybe the FCC didn't specify, but we kind of got together and worked it out among ourselves. This is how we'll do this. This is how we'll do that. And, and things like that. And they've done a lot of great things over the years. Uh, I've got a number of ARRL books up there on the shelf, and we'll pull some of those down here one episode soon and, and look at some of those. Right. They they also, uh, they're kind of our voice uh, to the government, oh, too. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, they're a, a, it's a paid, uh, you have to pay your membership to, mm-hmm. to be a member of it. And that money goes towards uh, lobbying, you know, to have laws passed to, to help preserve the hobby and, and uh, you know, make sure people can still put up antennas in their neighborhoods and, and things like that. So yeah. it's, it's a great organization. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And there's um, the, the FCC used to license amateurs, didn't they? I mean, they you'd have to go get your license from them. Yeah. Can you tell us a little more about yeah, that? Yeah, they used to do all the testing themselves. They had uh, 23 FCC uh, field offices or district district offices, and people used to have to go in and actually do their testing there. Um, if you lived at least 125 miles away, you could send it in by mail for the, the lower three uh, license classes, that, which at the time were novice technician in general. But uh, anyway, like I said, that's if you lived... 125 miles away or so, and it wasn't practical to make the trip in. But uh, the the group that handles that now is the NCVEC, the National Conference of Volunteer Examiner Coordinators. That's another mouthful. It is quite a mouthful, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but anyway, before 1984, the FCC handled all that. Um, the Volunteer Examiner Program came into being because of several different factors. The primary one was budget cutbacks, which we see a lot of things happen because of that. Yeah. The FCC had laws changed to allow them to accept services of private individuals and organizations. This would allow private parties to prepare and administer testing for new and upgraded amateur radio licenses. Approximately one month after that legislation became law, the ARRL, uh, one you were Mm -hmm. just talking about, filed a petition requesting that only nonprofit educational organizations be allowed to participate, which, which that's a good thing because then you can't get gouged for pricing yeah. on things like that. So that, that was a great move by them. Um, the NCVEC was formed as a nonprofit organization. Few of their duties are to coordinate the actions of the independent VECs like you and I, volunteer examiner. Actually, we're not the VECs, but the groups we're that we go under. Yeah. And to formalize the management of the question pools, they act as an intermediary between the VECs and the FCC as well. And uh, there are actually 14 VECs right now in the United States. Wow. there's you, you know, I was thinking that there was maybe only like three or four VEC uh, organizations around, but... 
Boy, I had no idea that there was this many of them. Yeah, I, I didn't either, actually, until I started doing the research on this. But uh, that, that's pretty amazing to me. I, I just didn't have any clue. We're VEs. Yeah. We're members of uh, the ARRL uh, VEC. Yeah. And uh, let's see, it's got my call sign, uh, how long I'm accredited, and I'm an extra class Accredited volunteer examiner. You are too, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I am. I didn't bring my, my didn't badges bring in. Yeah. And, well, but I have the same ones. Here, you can have this one. Well, oh. it's got my name on it. You can yeah, that's all right. Show it. We're, we're actually also uh, VEs for the Laurel uh, VEC group. Mm-hmm. So we, we got those. Uh, we volunteered uh, for Dayton to, to work the testing there, and they're a Laurel uh, group. So we, we got those for them. Yeah. So. Uh, we're VEs, in other words, we're volunteer examiners, but we have to work with a VEC group. Either right. we can work with Laurel VEC or ARRL VEC, and there'll be other guys around who kind of heads up the local groups. Like here in town, we've got our friend Bill, mm-hmm. who uh, who handles the, the local VE test sessions. And you and I will go ever so often, and, and we'll volunteer, and we'll hang our little badge on there. and. Help right. grade the test and, and right. such as that. And Help fill out paperwork and, and pass pencils out and whatever whatever it takes. Yeah, and, and help make new hounds. Right. So how do you get these, Tommy? Well, you have to go to, in our case, we started out on the ARRL mm-hmm. one. And so we went to the ARRL site and filled out some paperwork. And I believe we, it's been so long, I believe we took a little short uh, uh, online quiz test. online. Yeah. And it, it was pretty easy. And and then a few weeks later, I got a badge in the mail. Yeah. So that's a good way to kind of give back to the hobby a little bit. You know, we need volunteer examiners to donate their time and kind of help test new applicants and get them into the hobby. You right. know, somebody did it for you, unless you got in a really long time ago, and then the FCC did it to you. Right. And, and it takes, I believe it takes three uh, VEs to have a testing session, yeah. so it's you've kind of a checks and balances thing there. Um, not, not that I don't think any of them would would go under do things under the table, but that way you, you know all the things yeah. are covered, and, and you've got witnesses for everything, and everything's all only up and up. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. It, it's it's a lot of fun actually to participate in those testing sessions. Yeah, and it's kind of to do with your class of license too. Uh, since we were extras, we could qualify as. Um, you know, extra level VEs mm-hmm. to, to do testing of people that were taking their technician general or their extra class license test. Right. If you were general, I think you could only um, test people for the technician. I'm not sure if you could test them to be a general or not. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember the rules on that one. But yeah. uh, since we're extras, I really. Um, yeah. You know, we can do all of them. Yeah, I noticed uh, Dave NT9E here said, General Radio Telephone Operator's License. Needed to be an engineer at a radio station. Yeah, I've got one of those. Yeah. It's hanging on the wall up there, and you used to need that to, um, you know, be an engineer at a radio or television station. You don't anymore. They've changed the laws. Yeah, everything changes, doesn't it? But I actually had to have that for for jobs in the past. Right, yeah. and yeah, the the Morse code that we were showing here earlier, you know, you don't really have to have that any any longer. So, no. all everything changes. It's still good to know it. Yeah, and there's but, still a lot of people that use it. Oh yeah, a, yeah, a lot. But Pr- we'll, primarily yeah. hams. 
we'll be talking more about it in the future. But now, Tommy, I, I think maybe, you know, we've talked about the testing here, how people can get their license. Maybe we ought to go over some of the questions and kind of help prepare folks for taking their exam. And, and maybe some of you who are already licensed uh, have a little review on some of these, right. these uh, different questions. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to start with the, I guess, the technician class license exams here. Yeah. And let me pull up our first question here. And, you know, I really didn't think this out good because it's kind of hard to read that from here, but tell me what it says. The, and and l- let me say something before we go too far because some of the, some of these are, are, are simple and common sense. Some of them aren't. And we plan on, as we go through and find some that are more involved with some electronic theory and mm-hmm. things like that, doing demonstrations and, and explaining oh, yeah. and going into a lot of depth on the ones that, that are warrant that type of thing. So. Yeah, some of them are just, you know, pretty much we'll just, here's the answer, and that's about all we can say about it. But others, yeah, we, we plan on covering the theory and some of the background details to help you understand these questions. I mean, it's okay to memorize and Go take your test and just answer them, but we want you to, to know it's, why. It's really that was it's the okay to do that, but it's really better to know yeah. why. So, and, and that's what we're aiming for here. So, what's our first question, there, Tommy? Well, the first one says, "Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service, as stated in the FCC rules and regulations?" All right, we've got several choices there. We've got a providing personal radio communications for as many citizens as possible. What's Providing B? communications for international nonprofit organizations. Uh, C. Advancing skills in the technical and communications phase of the radio art. Or D. All of these choices are correct. So, what do you think the answer is, Tommy? Well, I think maybe D. All these choices may be correct. We need a buzzer in here too. Yeah. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> because the real answer is. Right. Advancing skills in the technical and communications phase of the radio arts. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, you knew that. I knew that. Yeah. But I, that was a good fake off. It was. Too. Yeah. It, yeah. Good. I was convinced that you didn't really know the answer. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Cool. But hey, that's cool. Let's go on to the to the second question. Now, you know, these questions are, are broken up into uh, different segments or different groups. They call them pools. And we're going to cover more of that in the future and, and tell you about the different sections of the exam and, you know, how many questions are in each pool. But all these right here are on the, the first pool, which is uh, basically uh, regulatory type stuff. Incidentally, the, the answer for this question right here is probably the main reason why I actually wanted to get my license. To, you wanted to, to be advancing skills in... Technical uh, communication phases. Yeah, we've got on... Yeah. You know, you remember we used to get on and rack you computer programming, oh, yeah. electronics, oh, yeah. everything. And that's another good reason to get an amateur radio because you're going to find a lot of people that have the same afflictions you do with technology. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, we used to talk not just radios, computers. Oh yeah, and, and still do. And still do. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go on to the next one here, and our second question. Which agency regulates and enforces the rules for the amateur radio service in the United States? And okay. A, a, FEMA. Yeah. B, the ITU. Mm-hmm. C, the FCC. Or D, Homeland Security. So, 
and and I can tell you this question pool this this has been updated since I sure? took mine. I'm pretty sure because I don't think Homeland Security was on there before. It yeah, I, I've forgotten when this particular pool came out. I don't have that here in front of me, but yeah, this is the latest one, and this probably was since we got got licensed. Yeah. So, but we just discussed this just a few minutes ago. We did, didn't yeah, we? Yeah. So, I'm I'm going to go for C, the FCC. And you would be correct. We need a, a ding, 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 ding. ding. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to work on those sound effects. Yeah, because FEMA, the Federal Emergency Agency, no, they don't enforce rules for amateur radio. The ITU, that's the International Telecommunications Union. Um. Yeah, they're kind of involved in there, but that's working between countries and all. That's mm-hmm. not, they don't really, you know, enforce rules here in the United States, although, right. the, you know, they may have some input into, you know, into yeah. making our rules, you know. Uh, some of the reciprocal agreements and yeah. things. Uh, the FCC, Federal Communications Commission, yeah, that's it. Homeland Security, no, I think they got their hands busy with other stuff. Yeah, they're probably tied up right now. They, they probably are. What part of the FCC regulations contains rules governing the amateur radio surface? Uh, A, Part 73, B, Part 95, C, Part 90, or D, Part 97. Do I get the answer again? I thought you would let me answer one. Go ahead. I actually know this one, too, but go. It's D, Part 97. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) And, And that is correct. Yeah, Part 97. Um... How do you know this? This is one of those you're just going to have to memorize or remember. Yeah, the the fact that we wrote a uh, FCC rules program one time yeah. and released it out on Chairware, you know, mm-hmm. that just kind of helped a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, we probably, I don't know, we made enough to buy more programming tools with. It paid for for the yeah. habit. Yeah. You know, paid, paid for the rules. That might too. have been our first project we did. It could have been. One of the first for sure. Well, let's go on to the next question here. Which of the following meets the FCC definitions for harmful interference? A, radio transmissions that annoy users of a repeater. B, unwanted radio transmissions that cause costly harm to radio station apparatus. That which seriously degrades, obstructs, or repeatedly interrupts a radio communication service operating in accordance with the radio regulations. Or D, static from lightning storms. Okay, which one do you think that is, Tommy? I'm going to go with C. That which seriously degrades, obstructs, or repeatedly interrupts a radio communication service operating in accordance with radio radio regulations. regulations. Well, let's just see. I think you're right on that one. And you are. Go figure. Yeah. You must have looked at these before. I have seen them before. This one back ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, about yeah, about ninety two, I think. Mm-hmm. So there, there's your answer for that one right there. And these are the type of questions you're going to have on that technician exam. Uh, let's go on to the next one. Which of the following is the purpose of the amateur radio service rules and regulations as defined by the FCC? Uh, a. Enhancing international goodwill. Now, this is going to be a trick one here. B. Providing inexpensive communications for local emergency organizations. C, training of operators in the military radio operating procedures. Or D, all of these choices are correct. Hmm, this is kind of a tricky one. Mm-hmm, it is. 
I'm gonna, am I answering this one, yeah. or do you want? Yeah, it? you'll answer this one. Since okay. Since it's a answer. tricky one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with A. Enhancing international goodwill, and you are correct. Yeah. Yeah. I actually remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was no sound there. I didn't. You didn't do the. No. I thought you were going to... Yeah. I watched Dumb and Dumber 2 last night. You saw it. Yeah, I've seen it. Too. So, anyway, uh, inside joke there. <laughs> this is one of those you're, um, you're just going to have to kind of remember, too. It is enhancing international goodwill, providing inexpensive communications for local emergency organizations. Yeah, that that's one of the benefits of amateur radio. But it's um, not the purpose for the amateur radio right. rules and regulations. Right. Um, and obviously, uh, training operators in military radio operating procedures. I mean, that's that's a good side benefit, but that's not right. That's not why we have the service. And so, obviously, D wouldn't be correct. Right. Which of the following services are protected from interference by amateur signals under all circumstances? A citizen band service, or actually. Citizen radio service, and let me just explain myself. We're sitting, what, 10 feet away from the monitor, and it's about this big, the little window we're looking in. Yeah. So, uh, so A, citizen radio service, B, broadcast service, C, land mobile radio service, or D, radio navigation service. Which one do you think, or do you want me to answer? Which of the following services are protected from interference by amateur signals under all circumstances? Uh, I'm going to take a poke at it and say B, broadcast service. Okay, and I think um, this is another one of those trick questions here. Because sometimes you have to read these questions very carefully. They put one little thing in there that kind of trips it up. And the one that trips it up on here. For me, is it says, under all circumstances. Well, what is the most um, probably life-threatening situation there? Uh, it's it's going to be D, radio navigation service. So because under all circumstances, we shouldn't interfere with uh, communications of planes or, you know, Trains or... Uh, GPS. GPS. Yeah, yes. Yeah, GPS could be considered in that. But, you know, the life and limb type things there, that's kind of why D is the answer. Because, you know, you could um, you cause someone to lose their life or be harmed if you interfered sure. with, say, um, you know, FAA traffic or something. I will like say that. that. I, did not know, I did not know that one. Yeah. Um, but that, see, that's that's why yeah. these things are good refreshers. Well, and when I was going over these questions, uh, typing them in, you know, I looked at that broadcast service pretty hard. I was thinking, yeah, this this sounds like it. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But I quickly moved on and looked at the answer. And, and yeah, saw when it. you highlighted the answer on the slide, that pretty well gave it in for you, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of cued me in right there. <laughs> so let's go on to the next one here. What is the FCC Part 97 definition of telemetry? And it's A, an information bulletin issued by the FCC. B, a one-way transmission uh, to initiate, modify, or terminate functions of a device at a distance. 
C, a one-way transmission of measurements at a distance from the measuring instrument, or D, an informational bulletin from a VEC. Well, seeing as how you already typed in the answer, I guess I'll take a, a swing at this one, too. Okay. And I'm going to say that telemetry is C, a one-way transmission of measurements at a distance from the measuring instrument. And that is correct. Uh, what did I win? Um, an attaboy. Oh, all right. Collected after the show. All right. Uh, you know, this one kind of tripped me up a little bit here. I knew an information bulletin issued by the FCC. No, that's not telemetry, nor no. is an information bulletin from a VEC. Telemetry is, is data. Right. And so I looked at B, and, you know, I was kind of, well, I got kind of tripped up from my uh, broadcast background with remote control units and such, but... Uh, the B there, a one-way transmission to initiate, modify, or terminate functions of a device at a distance like a remote control. You're sending commands to a device. But that's not really what it is. What it is is, is bringing back that measurement data. Right, and, and when I look at that, I think about the old amateur logic we did when we went and saw Bill launch the balloon, and they, mm -hmm. they were sending telemetry from the balloon that, that gave us uh, the altitude, the temperature, mm -hmm. the direction, you know, uh, all, all that good stuff up there. and uh, Yeah. So that, that, that's the type of data that's telemetry. Well, we'll give you that one. All right. Made me work for that one. Yeah, the next question, which of the following uh, entities recommends transmit, receive channels, and other parameters for auxiliary and repeater stations? A, frequency spectrum manager. B, frequency coordinator. C, FCC Regional Field Office, or D, International Telecommunications Union. Okay, and I guess you want me to answer this one. Yep. Which of the following entities recommends transmit receive channels and other parameters for auxiliary and repeater stations? Well, I don't think it's going to be the International Telecommunications Union because, you know, we're talking about local here when we're talking about repeaters and auxiliary right. generally. FCC Regional Field Office, well, you know, the FCC is, is sort of hands-off with ham radio, so I don't think they're going to get involved down to the level of assigning frequencies for individual repeaters. Or, yeah, I doubt they have the know. manpower for that. Frequency Spectrum Manager. That's a, you know, that seems like it could be it. Seems like it's close. But B, Frequency Coordinator, I'm going to go with that. Frequency coordinator is the one who coordinates the frequencies for auxiliary and repeater stations. And I'm going to second that motion. Well, let's see. And we both were correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who selects the frequency coordinator? Well, that's okay. This is getting good now. Yeah. They're hey. digging in. <clears throat> yeah. A, the FCC Office of Spectrum Management and Coordination Policy. Wow. That's pretty long. Yeah, there probably is one of those. The local chapter of the Office of National Council of Independent Frequency Coordinators. Amateur operators in a local or regional area whose stations are eligible to be auxiliary or repeater stations. Or D, the FCC Regional Field Office. All right, reason this one out for us, Tommy. Well, we, we already wiped out the FCC field office as far as the frequency mm -hmm. coordinator, so I think that one's out. 
FCC Office of Spectrum Management, that kind of falls under the same yep. thing. Pretty pretty much think the FCC is not going to deal with that. The local chapter of the Office of National Council of Independent Frequency Coordinators. I just don't think there's a council for that. Uh, amateurs, amateur radio is kind of a, a self-policing, self-monitoring mm-hmm. type thing. So I'm thinking it's going to be C, amateur operators in a local or regional area whose stations are eligible to be auxiliary or repeater stations. Well, let's see. Boy, you nailed another one. Give it up, brother. Um, right. And, yeah, this is... Um, Generally, these are probably called frequency coordinators, or or like in our area, there's one called SERA, S-E-R-A, which I think is Southeastern Repeater Association. Yep. It's a group of uh, amateurs that kind of form a group, and they help decide and coordinate Mm -hmm. what frequencies will be used for repeaters in their part of the country or state or, or whatever region they cover. Because, you know, you can't all be on the same frequency. Right, so, and it's a good idea to if you're going to put up a repeater to to find out who's responsible for that in your area yeah. and get it coordinated, and not just stick something up on some frequency yeah. where you may have, uh, you know, overlap or, or cause interference with something well, that's already there. And that does happen, and you can put or just go stick a repeater up and throw it up there. But if it comes down to being contested, whoever actually had that frequency coordinated for their use is going to win, and they're going yeah, to be shutting it down. And, and, and be a good be a good ham, and and yeah. and, and kind of follow the, the guidelines yeah. that have been set in place. Yeah. Okay, the next one here. Why don't you read this one? Okay, what is the FCC Part ninety seven definition of an amateur station? All right, a, a station in the amateur radio service consisting of the apparatus necessary for carrying on radio communications, or B. A building where amateur radio receivers, transmitters, and RF power amplifiers are installed. C. Any radio station operated by a non-professional. Or D. Any radio station for hobby use. Well, this might take a little reasoning out here. Any radio station operated for uh, hobby use? Nah. Now, that would mean CBs, you know, a lot of things that could fall under there. Any radio station operated by a non-professional? Nah. No. A building where amateur radio receivers, transmitters, and RF power amplifiers are installed? Well, you could call that a radio station. You could. Unfortunately, FCC Part 97 doesn't call that a radio station. What they call a radio station is a station in the amateur radio service consisting of the apparatus necessary for carrying on radio communications. So that that's your answer for that one. D sounds like, yeah, it could be, but you know, we're talking about what's in the FCC rules. Here. So you're saying it's B? I'm saying it's A. You're saying it's A? Yep. I'm saying it's mm, B. I would. B makes sense. If just you and I are talking, this is my radio right. station because okay. I've got my transmitters. Okay, then I agree here. with you. It's A. Well, let's see. And it is A. I'm glad I went over these before we did the show. <laughs> <laughs> they, some of them are kind of tough, and you, and you you do have to reason them out. And and some of them seem very similar. You know, yeah. if you don't think about them pretty hard. So yeah, they're they're guessing over here on the chat room. They were correct on that. Uh, just just about everyone. All right. Nail that one right there. 
Well, there you go. There's the first 10 questions. You won't have all 10 of those on your technician's exam. You, you might have some of those. Anyway, we'll be covering more information about those and kind of giving you the breakdowns of the different categories and such in the future. But right now, let's talk to some of our friends in the chat room here, here with us tonight. And let's see. What have we got here? You should set up a Patreon page for this show, a Patreon page. My tallest 42 said that. Yeah. What, you, uh, what you know is what a that? Patreon? No, I've never. I think that's a page you set up where people can uh, go make pledges to oh, help okay. you meet financial goals oh, on the okay. show. Mike, uh, VE3MIC, said Schoolhouse Rock never prepared him for this stuff. Yeah, well, Mike's a Canadian. Yeah. You know, we'll let him watch. But <laughs> I'm not sure anything up there really prepared him for the whole FCC thing. You know, you could be right. What's the name of the the uh, organization in Canada? I, I don't know. This? Mike, uh, what is the name of the one in Canada, the, the counterpart for the FCC up there? Mm -hmm. uh, VA3TWT Gord says, looking forward to future episodes. Thanks for what you do for us. And VA, that's uh, Victor Alberto, isn't it? Uh, not sure. Yeah. I believe it is. So does that mean Canada or Australia? Yeah. Canada. Canada, yeah. So that, there's one of Mike's neighbors up there. And yeah, uh, you know, we don't care if you're from the U.S. or not. Your rules are going to be sort of similar. Might be a little different. So, you know, you can't go completely by what uh, what we're reviewing here, but it's going to be... Pretty doggone. Yeah, and you may want to tune in and see George sing the, the Ham College theme, too, since I usually have to do the amateur logic <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, anyway, he's looking forward to future episodes. Uh, this show will be posted shortly, and we'll uh, we'll post around you know the links to where you can right. find it and send your new hams or non-ham buddies over to... Have a look at it. And let's see right. if we can and, and, and set it'll, the hook and bring it, it'll smooth out some. This one might be a, a little rougher than, a than little? some of the <laughs> others. Yeah, we had yeah. we had quite a few problems to overcome at the start, so kind of threw us off. Yeah, and Ron says he still can't believe that he passes extra tests. Yeah, uh, Rob, that thing is is pretty hard. Me, yeah, me too, man. That thing was tough. I studied. You can ask my wife. I studied for that thing like nonstop. But no, every night. I, I don't even remember how long, but it was a long time. Yeah. Uh, Mike, our uh, friend VE3MIC says the regs are slightly different but similar, and that's that's kind of what I would expect. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's a good thing. A lot of this stuff kind of carries over, and, and and that's good because if you're talking to somebody in, you know, a, another. state, country you want to kind of follow mm -hmm. the same protocol same type of rules yeah and my tallest 42 says is the test more about memorization like those like these questions were or practical and it's both uh these that we covered tonight probably yeah a lot of them were memorization but um well, there's some reasoning behind yeah, some of them yeah. too and, and and we tried to kind of go through some of that yeah. process to, about reasoning through them but there's there's some electronics theory and practical application things that oh we'll yes be getting definitely to. will be there'll be a little math in there um you know some uh circuit diagrams and things as you get on in right i'm not don't remember how many the technician had of that type but 
Um, there, yeah, there'll be more theory involved in here. It's not all memorization. Although that is one way to take the test. Uh, but if you want to understand it... It's not you know. the recommended way. Because yeah. you really want to understand what you're doing and, and, and not just memorize it to, to get the ticket and then go about your business. You want to kind of understand why things are like that so you'll yeah. operate in a, in a proper manner when you get on the air. And let me see where I was just looking here. Uh, KN0MAP, Dan says, I'm a new ham and looking forward to future shows. Uh, well, Dan... You are our man. You're you're the kind of person that we're looking for for this show, and that that we're aiming it at. You know, although you know we want to make it interesting for um, people who've been in the hobby for a while too. They can argue with us and tell us where we were wrong, and you know, because it could happen. Yeah, it's it a could. chance. My wife says it could happen all the time. <laughs> 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 okay, um, general class VEs can only administer tech exams. And you know, uh, KK4EWT, I thought that was correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of thought so too, but I wasn't sure. Yep. You see anything interesting in there, Tommy? Well, yeah, Ron, Ron said he studied, he studied about six to eight weeks taking practice. 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 Yeah. He, Ron said he studied it, studied about six to eight weeks taking practice exams, uh, 500 every day for that time, passed the extra with 100%. Wow. Congratulations. 100%. That's, that, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Because that, that extra one was tough. I, I made a great grade on it. I don't remember exactly, but it was a lot of pressure. Yeah. My grade on the extra... I, I aced the general, man. I did. I, I know I, I bound and missed, you know, a couple or so. The extra, I had not studied for it. And there was all kind of red marks on my page, but apparently not too Apparently many. just not quite. I just snaked right in under the wire <laughs> on that one, man. Yeah, yeah. You, oh, yeah. You uh, When you go to take your, your test. Yes. You pay. The, it's a nonprofit, like we said before, administers the test. But they do charge a fee to to mm -hmm. deal with the paperwork and the postage, sending the paperwork into all all that good stuff. Um, but when you pay the fee, you can take as many of the examinations as you want. So if you go for the technician, you can take the general. If you pass it, then you can take the general. If you pass it, you can take the extra right there without the paying extra. Without paying extra, and that's yeah. what you did, right? You took the that's general. That's what I did, and, yeah. and went ahead and took the extra. I took the general. I, I got it, and they said, well, you want to take the extra while you're here? Sure. It's not going to cost me anything extra. I hadn't studied for it, but, yeah, I'll take it, and bam. Yeah. I passed. And then that's why and that's why the pressure was on for me. Yeah. You really so, buckled down and actually studied. You and Jim both did. Yeah. Man, I, I hunkered down and studied hard on that one. Yeah. it. There was some tough questions on there. I just, well, I, book, I won't get into that it, but book I just was got huge. lucky. Yeah, but anyway, it's it's worth it. It's oh. worth. It. I don't regret one minute of it. Uh, let's see. Jerry says it's a good show. Video feed is a little strange for him, but a good show. Yeah, you know we hear that same thing over at Ham Nation. That certain weeks you're just going to have problems with yeah. the video feed. I, I wish, and maybe one day everybody's bandwidth will get up, including the backbones between us, to where yeah everybody has, you know. Uh, video flowing like wine, or is it flowing, <laughs> wine flowing like beer? I don't remember what something it is. Something like that. Something like that. 
Uh, let's see. What would you guys recommend for an eight-year-old to study to pass his tech? Gordon West. Yeah, he, he's got he's got great great books. So, mm -hmm. um, so I, I definitely recommend his technician book. Yeah, get the Gordon West technician book. It won't only just help him pass the test. It will give him some actual background in into the different areas in there. He'll he'll actually learn. And it'll be a fun thing. My son studied Gordon's book to take his technician exam, and he was uh, really commented on how well it filled in everything. Yeah, I hear I hear a lot of people talk about those. They're probably some of the best ones out there. Yep. Uh, my tallest forty-two says I'm already am a builder. Oh, well, I think he said I already am a builder. He didn't stammer like I did. Okay. But um, yeah, well that's cool. You know that's. That you're the perfect kind of guy to get into amateur radio, isn't he? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, so many of us are builders, and and that's what we're finding is true. So many people who well came through amateur logic, uh, got started watching the show, us doing Arduino stuff, or or building one thing or another, and and we hooked them and brought them right on into amateur radio. Oh, yeah. And it's fun. It's fun to build something like that and tie it in with amateur radio, or, you know, build your own antennas and, and all that stuff. It's great. That's our kind of people. You, you bet. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not that kind of people, we're going to make you that kind if you keep watching. Yes. Yes, that's our, what, our mission in life or something like that? Yeah, the subliminal messages that keep popping up. Yeah. Some of you think it's buffering. Well, it probably is. But <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, the test is not that dissimilar with other countries. The rules may differ somewhat, but for sure the theory will be the same. And that's from J1, or excuse me, JH1JRT underscore JG. Would that be Japan? I'm not sure where JH1 is. Uh, J. I don't know. It might be J-A-1. I'm not sure about J-A. Yeah, J-A is. I'm not sure mm -hmm. about J-H. I'm going to kind of date myself here, but, but do you remember back, we were talking about CBs earlier. Do you remember when you had to have a license for that? Oh, yeah, I did have one. Yeah, I I, I wasn't old enough to get one, so my dad actually went, and I was yeah. able to operate under his. Yeah. So, But it, we actually lived in Virginia, and there was a, a field office right there close to our house. Yeah. I, I remember going over there and sitting in the car while he took the paperwork up there. Well, I think I mailed in to get mine. Um, and then I think they changed the rules a couple of years later, something like that, because I was working at a store and we happened to sell CBs, among other things. And it seemed like we had a little form or something. You would just fill it out and you put somebody, your initials and your zip code or something on it, and that was your Yeah, license. I still remember that. I yeah. still remember that form. But. Yeah. Well, we appreciate everyone being here, and tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Are are you? Uh, so we're just kind of like serving you two turkeys here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I've got uh, I've got so many people coming to my house. My house is not that big, and I've got fifteen, possibly nineteen people coming, and I don't have near enough places to sit. So some of them are going to have to sit on the ground over there, over yeah. there, whatever. But it's going to be nice to see all of them. Yeah, we've already done my Thanksgiving celebration. My, uh, uh, all my kids and grandkids and everything were in town this past weekend. So we did it then. And 
Everybody is headed back home this morning, so oh, well, you get to have a second one. It'll well, it'll be a quiet Thanksgiving here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll throw a few shrimp on the barbie or, or something. There you like, go. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got to get some shrimp though before I can do that. Grocery store. Well, I think we need to wind this up so I get so to you can go to the grocery store. store. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for being here. We enjoyed it, and uh, you know, check out our other show. And, and most of you probably already do, amateurlogic.tv. We'll have another one. Uh, well, I don't know the date. But well, watch maybe. for the postings. We'll, we'll be posting the shooting dates. Um, yeah, it's a um, couple of weeks or so. Yeah. yeah not far away. So, and then, oh, 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 yeah, I was going to say one more thing. Uh, when, we, when we post the final edited version of this, be sure and leave comments and let us know what you think, yeah. if it's worthwhile. You know, if it's not, if some things maybe need to change a little bit yeah. on it or whatever. Um, we're, we're doing this for you guys, uh, some of you guys that are already licensed, but, you know, people that aren't primarily. Yeah. But um, the feedback's really important on this one. Yeah, and, you know, if you've got somebody you wish they were in ham radio and you just need to give them a little push, uh, show this to them and get their feedback, too, if if you can. If you can't, that's okay. But, you know, we'd, we'd yeah. really... Appreciate. We we can't go through the whole question pool each show, but uh, it's designed hopefully to spark some interest and and people move forward yeah. with it. So, yeah. but well, happy Thanksgiving. Yep, happy Thanksgiving. Seventy three. Seventy three. You know, I think we went through 10 of them, Tommy, because it says chat. All right. So how you been doing? Well, I've been doing pretty good. How about you? In the following two decades, though. <laughs> well, Dan said we shorted out the Internet. Oh, did we? <laughs> I was going to tell you. About something, obviously, I didn't print out here. To radio station apparatus. Oh, and I need to put that back where wow. you can see it. <laughs> that, was, that was a harmful interference right there. It was. There,